McNulty stunning for anyone to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and World's PO4 Cards episode 125. Shocking, disgraceful, into your objective here because Pompey were a disgrace. Joining the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you Andy? Hello Hugh. Yep, I don't really know what to add to that as an intro. Pretty much spot on. It's not been the best couple of games since, uh, since we last recorded, has it? No, not really. I was pretty ecstatic after that. Sunderland victory and I thought well maybe that Sutton game is a bit of an outliner but you know I, I couldn't even think of what words to say to be honest to start the podcast off because there's not really any words that that describe how bad we were so joining us there is Sam Stone how are you Sam? Hi guys yeah um, pretty much what Andy said not a lot to say on Tuesday night um, but uh, let's flip on a positive I need before I forget thank you to the two Ipswich fans on the train back to Brighton they bought me a pint um, in, a, in the pub when we got back to Brighton to to make me feel better. So yeah, that was probably the only positive of the night. Those two Ipswich fans who were in a very good mood, but they made me feel a lot better. Who said romance is dead, eh, Sam? Uh, yeah, that exactly. sounds nice. Exactly. It was worth, that's what made the night worth it. <laughs> a pitiful pint offering at the end of the night yeah. was the highlight of the game for for yeah. Sam. And I'm struggling to top that story wise, to be honest, <sighs> mate. But. So Freddie's also bailed on the podcast today. He said that he couldn't he couldn't put up with it. He couldn't deal with talking on it at all. So we haven't got Freddie today, although he has sent in a message of his thoughts on the podcast, which is quite interesting. But enjoy your dinner date, Fred, and uh, we'll do the nitty gritty bit when you bailed out. So we're going to try and try and be a little bit objective here. Obviously, there's quite a lot of emotions uh, running high. So let's just get into it. So first of all, we're going to review the game against Rotherham. Following on from that, we're going to review the awful shocking display against Ipswich and then we put the question into you guys and I thought for about a day on what kind of question I could actually put out that would sort of well actually do justice to what's going wrong at Pompey and you guys have messaged it in your flock so we're going to get to those and finally we're going to preview the game on Saturday against Accrington Stanley right okay let's go for it boys let's just get through this first bit because we're going to be talking about the game at Rotherham it started quite brightly, though, didn't it? It started quite well. You know, we spoke to the guys on the Rotherham podcast last week and I had a little chat with them before and after the game and they were saying they thought that we actually started brightly and probably on the front foot for the first 30 minutes. Well, yeah, I, I made the trip up with my dad and um, well, let's try and just try and be a little bit positive because I, 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 I usually try and look positive. For the, first, for the first half an hour, I thought we actually looked the better side and I think to go in 1-0 down was a little bit of a was it probably a little bit unjust? But then come out second half, and again, we were on the front foot and got the goal back. So you could say for the first 50 minutes, 
we actually looked like the team that was kind of in the ascendancy and and just that uh, when we scored I felt like yeah we could actually get something out of this game I thought a point would have been a great result against a very good side uh, and, and they showed that in the end because that that 10 minute well what was it in the end was it seven minutes that seven minute kind of spell was um it was a kind of a, a a lot of Pompey just folding, but then also Rotherham just showing their kind of their, their power and strength and, and dominance in this league. We did start brightly, Sam. I, I do think so. We were the probably a bit more on top, but again, it's sort of lacking that penetration. Williams has that long distance shot, which the keeper sort of nearly fumbles in. What could have been, I suppose, if that if that goal goes in? You just got to look at the negatives, haven't you? And you, you think, is it a formation issue here? Maybe, maybe not. But when the ball comes down the right hand side for the first goal, there's so much space out wide again, isn't there? And that sort of wing back slot that two players are sort of almost standing side by side on the left back in the left back position, and no one's pushed out to the guy. So when he puts the ball in the box, there's so much space and time for that header to come in. It was always going to be, wasn't it? Was it Michael Smith did the first the first one, guys? Yeah, that header at the back post. And you just think, here we go from there. Can the team turn it round? That's the frustrating thing, isn't it? In that even though the results of the last two games that we're going to talk about are fairly similar, I think they're, they were such different games in that we'll come on to what an absolute mess Ipswich was. But as Sam said, the Rotherham game, we were more than in it for the, for, you know, the majority of the match. And... You mentioned there the overlap. I think it was Brown on the left, and it was that there were similar aspects between one of between this goal and one of the goals in the Ipswich game. I think it was the final, uh, maybe the final goal we conceded, where they just had that overlap on their right wing, and there was no one covering Brown, who doesn't know whether to stay with his man or try and sort of half track the runner on his outside, and it results in a ball in and a goal. So yeah, at that point you're thinking, okay, we've seen this before. Opposing player who used to play for Pompey scores the first goal, gives it the big in. Hasn't always worked out too well for opposition players in the past. It's quite ballsy to to shush the Pompey fans when there's still, you know, the majority of the game to go. And yeah, Pompey fought their way back into it and looked the better side for large parts of the game. And it was a it was a uh, a deserved equaliser in the at the start of the second half. Tunner Cliff did a really good job. We talk about this sort of putting pressure on the opposing teams in their own defensive third. And Tunnicliffe did that, won the ball on the left. Really nice finish across the goalkeeper. It's sort of the R1 circle finish from um, from Harness. And yeah, you're thinking at this point, I actually thought if you pick one team to be more likely to win the game, it was going to be Pompey. But unfortunately, Sandcastle in the rain sort of thing happened. You know, house of cards, pull one card out, whatever analogy you want to use. And one begets two, begets three, begets four. Uh, well, in, in this case, two begets three, begets four in the Rotherham game. So, yeah, a, uh, a very, very frail side got exposed. And unfortunately, it's been, um, yeah, exposed quite horrifically by two teams within the space of a few days. Yeah. And then, and then obviously it goes back up. It goes back up the other end and you think, I don't know what you think, Sam, from being at the game, but... There's a really feeble shot on goal that ends up in Bazunu spilling it out. And, you know, everyone makes mistakes. But after that, the team around him really need to, to rally back and sort of tighten things up, you know, in defence and try and make sure that that sort of thing doesn't happen and the goalkeeper isn't exposed to potentially making another mistake or just, just help the man out a little bit. But Pompey really just collapsed after that, didn't they? Yeah, and that's what Cowley's kind of said and after the Ipswich game as well, after that. The second goal or the reaction to kind of 
getting back, you get back into the game, and then you, you kind of go behind straight away. There needs to be a better reaction to that because they the actual reaction to going behind the first goal was all right. They, they actually kind of got back into the game and at the start of the second half. But it's a tough one with Bazunu because we've we've all been singing our pra- his praises and. I, I ended up. I wrote something on him a few weeks ago. And ever since then, he can't stop making mistakes. So I think I, I think I've jinxed him. Cursed um, it, cursed him. I've cursed, I've cursed him. Yeah, and then obviously Ipswich on Tuesday night as well. But yeah, it, it's it's one of them where you think that you need a few more leaders in there just to kind of that. It's the third and fourth goal. They're just so so easy, so sloppy. And I actually think that Rotherham probably could have gone and got. Like a fifth or a sixth, if they really put the foot on, if they really put the foot on the gas, I don't think they go out of second gear the whole game. Um, I, I, I tweeted about after the game. I said that I think they're one of the better sides I've seen this league, and they didn't even get out of second gear, and they still beat us four-one, which is that, which is also really worrying as well because the, 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 they didn't really push on to get push on or put any much pressure on us after the fourth goal. And I feel if they had, they would have easily got some more. Um, but it's just that reaction. We've seen it a few times this season. It was the MK Dom's game as well. Cowley mentioned them when we went behind. There was no reaction to getting back into the game. And that for me is is a it's something that he said in the summer he's brought in players with character and and that these are personalities he wants to the club, but we just haven't seen that at all. We maybe seen it from Clark Robertson at the start of the season. Obviously he's been out injured. So it, it, you haven't seen what these kind of these key attributes and characteristics he's asking for in these players. We haven't seen it at all from any of his new signings. Andy, would you say that your fellow nation man, Joe Morell, is potentially the only other player who has shown that sort of bite and sort of get up and go that maybe, I don't know, other players are missing, I suppose? Yeah, I, I'm obviously going to have the man's back, uh, but I do genuinely think he's one of the only players that really comes out of you know, the last few games with any any real credit uh, because as Sam alluded to there, we've, we've supposedly got some leaders in the team and Clark Robertson has done it well before he got injured. But you look at other, the other names in the starting eleven that you sort of expect to stand up and say, right, no more when the chips are down. You're looking at people like you know, Lee Brown, Sean Raggett, potentially Williams, Tunnicliffe in midfield. They are sort of the, the spine or the rock of the team that when things are down, you consolidate and you play game smart and you wait for the sort of the tide to turn a little bit. You just see off the the immediate danger and then slowly work your way back into the game. And it's something that we've spoken about on the podcast already this season, that when Pompey conceded, when we conceded the first against Rotherham, it was a bit of an outlier. But um, generally, when we concede, there's no firm reaction in which where you sort of sit there and you take a few body blows and then get back into the game. It's a bit all hands to the pumps, we've conceded, everybody panic, kind of run around in circles, like, yeah, panicking, essentially. That's what comes across. It's kind of like, you know, you know, kids football where people start following the ball, we lose our shape. It just goes a bit headless chicken kind of, um, kind of thing. I've used about eight different metaphors. They're all probably completely wrong, but there's no structured response to going down. And those big names that, that should be or you would normally rely on to stop the the flow or stop the the onslaught aren't able to do so at the moment. And Morel is one of those players who has been more likely to do so in terms of actually giving us some sort of attacking threat and running forward into space and almost doing what we wanted. And we saw a few times Andy Cannon doing where he sort of drives into the space in front of him uh, last season. 
because when you go a goal down or you concede a goal, you can't just sit in your, you know, can't sit in your first third. You've actually got to at least have some sort of reaction by putting some sort of pressure onto the other team by running at them and at least giving them something to think about, which is what morell has been doing, but not with a huge amount of uh, sort of choreographed support from, from his teammates. Absolutely. And if you're a playmaker midfielder, you're only going to be able to to do something great with the ball if people are actually making the right runs into space and, and drawing defenders away and sort of linking up with play. And we talked about how we need a big reaction and Pompey did exactly the opposite, especially after that Banzini one. I mean, it's a free kick. The next goal it comes into the box, free header, goal. Again, back to basics. There's no marking properly. And the fourth one, the guy's got so much time in the box that I think that any of us could have turned in that space and toe punted it in under the keeper so th- this is the basic sort of confidence issues character issues and we're going to come on later to say why this is and why you guys in particular because we've got so many messages to get through it's going to be a, a hall of of chatter on it and stuff but i mean i don't want to dwell too much on this game if i'm honest because we spoke about it already we're we're all pretty down on how the result came around yes it was promising at the start of the game but you can't be a team that can be good for 20 minutes or 30 minutes and then just absolutely bottle it afterwards you have to come out and do something about it i don't think it's even just being good for 20 or 30 minutes i think to be fair pompey were more than that but what you can't do is even be good for 70 minutes and the other 20 it's not just you don't perform as well it's like an actual implosion for 20 minutes it's not just uh you know, you drop off your game by 10, 20%, which we do see because I mean, this is League One. It's League One football. That's going to happen to every single club. It's very rare that a team's going to put a full 90 together at a high level. But it's the fact that it was that complete implosion for, what, seven-ish minutes in the second half that cost us the game that is frustrating because the performance, other than that, it sounds really silly, other than that seven minutes when we conceded three goals, the performance really wasn't that bad. You know, that sounds a ridiculous thing to say. But... It wasn't dreadful, except for the complete mental breakdown. But as Sam said, Rotherham had other gears they could have gone into if they needed to there. And the concern for me is that when we talk about the Ipswich game, I would say exactly the same for Ipswich, that they could have kicked on in the last few minutes had they wanted to and potentially scored more. But yeah, we'll get to that. It's it's one of those things as well. When you look at the, it's not just defensively we look shocking. Going forward, we're also looking not great in the penetration way in this game. Obviously, Harness gets the goal. He's the only player to have three shots in the game. The second player to have a shot is, is Hurst with two, and we all know they're not going in. So we're going to draw some similarities later on in the next game about it. But yeah, all right. Has anyone got anything else to say about the Rotherham game or I'm going to move it on? Give a shake well, or a nod. Just so you mentioned about Harness, I actually thought that he was probably our in the, in the first half of Rotherham over the last two games first half of Rotherham Harness was probably the most uh, creative uh, what's the word he was the most creative player I've seen for us in, in that kind of number 10 position so far this season um, play, him playing more centrally was so much more better like more effective than him out on the wing um, and then obviously like yesterday he kind of was kind of playing a little bit more out well on, yesterday, on Tuesday he was playing out wide again slightly just didn't work as well. Like, I honestly think they need, they need to stop with, he needs to play centrally from now on because um, obviously it's where he's most effective. But even when he's put out wide, we say, he's he always wants to drift inside, doesn't he? And play through mm. the middle. And it's where Marcus Hunt has been most effective. And when we get, let's just move on to the Ipswich game then because Pompey have a chance in this game when you know, the ball gets squared from Lee Brown. It comes in. Marcus Harness picks up the same position he does against Sunderland where he gets that goal and he actually scores. He takes that little deflection and goes in. 
the ball gets pulled back and, and Harness, you know, has a shot and it doesn't go in this time. It goes wide. But that that's an actual positive run into a dangerous position that can create chances and he can score from there. But no one else seems to be creating anything, do they? No, pretty much. That is sort of a fair synopsis, I think, of the issues we've had over the last couple of games. And you said earlier that it's, you know, small margins here and there. And you mentioned in the first game, you know, what if that William shot sneaks in or, you know, what if we happen to score first? But there's only so much what if you can use. You know, what if Harness's first goal, uh, first shot against Ipswich goes in? How does that affect the rest of the game? You know, there's a lot of what ifs and buts and if onlys. But at the end of the day, yeah, this, uh, this performance against Ipswich, that Harness chance was pretty much the high point, I would say. I don't remember it getting much better than that, other than Hurst having that that shot in the second half that was a decent save from the Ipswich keeper. Uh, nice of him to actually get to touch the ball over the 90 minutes. Nice to give him a bit of exercise. But yeah, it was uh, pretty dry going forward. Hey, It's a dangerous run from Harness in that chance. Nice build-up play. That is probably towards the end of the positives for this match. I haven't got much else, if I'm honest, other than Morel having a decent enough game again. Right, I thought I'd start with the one positive from the game because I'm going to say now, this Ipswich result, or this Ipswich game generally, was truly one of the worst performances I've ever seen Pompey play at Fratton Park or ever generally. And this is going back years of watching Pompey play awful games. Ipswich have got a good squad or whatever, but there's no excuse for it. They're not a, they weren't a fantastic side. They didn't even play that well, I think. I mean, they, they had eight shots and four of them went in. First of all, that's... Absolutely shocking. I was seething in the back of the Fratton end, just standing there, talking to people around us. People left early in their droves, which meant it was easy to get home. That's the only other positive I can think about. Sam Sam bottled it. He left at, what was it, Sam's? Uh, I, I, I left early and then my as I got to the station, my train got cancelled. So there was no point in me. There was no point in me That's leaving early. Karma. That's karma, Sam, for not sticking around. And then and then I also as well, to rub salt in the wounds, it was my birthday the other day, and I left my birthday present underneath my seat as well. So it all just went wrong. What what's happened to your George Hurst new Pompey shirt? Uh that's gone in the bin along with the Accrington ticket. <laughs> You legitimately got one. I like that. Someone's got to buy a Hearst shirt, haven't they? So, George, if you're listening, you've got a fan over there in Sam, although he has now binned it, so evidently not. Let's get into the game, I suppose, a little bit. I was looking at the heat map, for instance, in the game. Ryan Tunnicliffe and John Marquis actually played fairly similar positions positionally throughout the game, which I thought was very odd, with Marquis dropping so deep to try and get the ball because he had absolutely no service up front. And, you know, when you're a striker like that, you're going to have to try and get in the game somehow which meant he actually, from a positional point of view, came in behind Harness and behind Curtis in that sort of cam role that we know he can't play and it just should never be deployed there ever again after the sort of awful debacle of Kenny Jacket deploying him there. We're all over the place tactically. Pompey couldn't establish a press with only 23% of the game played in the opposition's half, whilst over 30% was played in ours. Let's be honest, we didn't look like the home team. Ipswich would look like they were cruising. Once they got a goal, they were knocking it around. It was all too easy. Sam, I know you left early, but give me your lowdown on your feeling on what the fuck went wrong at Ipswich, against Ipswich. Okay, so I've got three main things that I can't talk about. First of all, I was actually sat today, just I had to do a work course thing. I was sat today, I was actually thinking about the game and I actually can't think of a more hapless Portsmouth display that I've seen at Fratton Park. Um, I was trying to think of a game even in League 2 when we were really really bad 
we kind of knew we were really, really bad. I just, I, I just can't think of a display that was actually that poor, um, especially at Fratton Park. Um, and then the two kind of tactical things, obviously you mentioned the pressing and, and I thought honestly that the, the main way we could have got Ipswich was pressing them high up the pitch. Um, that that because they're a good passing team, they they enjoy a lot of possession. So they've averaged like nearly sixty percent possession in, in their games this season. And the main successes we've had have been when we pressed high up the pitch, especially at the start of the season, and winning the ball high up, and then counter pressing and, and winning it again, and getting the ball at like in attacking areas. And we just didn't do that at all. At one point in the first half, I think John Marcus was like pretty much midway in our own half, and they had Edmondson and, and Ciara on the ball. And then Ciala looked very suspect throughout that whole game, especially with the ball at his feet. So I don't get why people we weren't trying to press them higher up the field. Because if you let a team like Ipswich, because they have got some good players there, Edwards, especially left winger, was a good player. Chaplin fought a very good game. Macaulay, born up front, was probably the pick of their pick of the bunch for me for them. If you let those players have time on the ball and 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 they will hurt you. And that's ultimately what happened. Um, and from an offensive kind of point of view, this mainly in the first half, because obviously I sit south stand, so I kind of saw it on that right-hand side. But there were so many opportunities, and they were trying to use the longer ball, but there were so many opportunities. I think it's when you said Harness kind of pushes inside. Romeo had pretty much 40 yards of space to run into and make a run. And at no point did he do that. And I don't know if that was because they wanted Harness to make that run instead, or Cowley was maybe not wanting to push forward too much in case you get caught out. But it just seems like they weren't sure whether he wasn't sure whether to go. You could tell from the way he was playing, he wasn't sure whether to go forward and attack. He wasn't sure, sure, like, sure whether to defend. And that might, I'm not sure if that's because he's, um, he's maybe uh, not, defensively haven't been well, not very good recently. He maybe wanted to sit back and make sure we weren't get caught out. But it just seemed very surprising for me because if he had made that run, we were pretty, there was always a ball on, there was always an attacking outlet and it's not something that we've kind of seen from him. He's usually been quite offensive and usually looks to get forward. So that was the one kind of thing in the first half, especially that I saw. Yeah, I think there, Sam, that one of the frustrating things you touched on there for me was the fact that there just wasn't at any point where you felt like there was real pressure on the Ipswich team because they have got players. You mentioned there's some, some really strong players they've got, particularly offensively. They're so gettable to if you get on top of them early, you look at NCR, which is the example you gave there. He is not a good League One player for me. Like the last time we played against them, he got hooked at what half time because he'd made mistakes. He was about to get sent off, and Ellis Harrison had just given him the worst 45 minutes of his career. And there were Ipswich fans saying then that's him done at the club, sort of like a, a Drew Talbot level of, of first half complete falling apart of confidence. And he got hooked at half time. And then this, this game, we've made him look like you know, he should be getting a move to the top half of the championship from how good he looked because there just wasn't that pressure on him. He's not a particularly excellent player for me, for League One standards. Similarly with Aluko, when he's scoring against you, you really need to take a bit of a look in the mirror. He was poor at Reading. He's got this move to Ipswich. He's been pretty poor at Ipswich so far this season. He's got on the score sheet against us. And I know this sounds silly because we've lost 4-0 to them, but... That I, I genuinely think on this occasion that's more of a reflection of Pompey than it is of Ipswich. And there are times when you know we play against opposition uh, from time to time where we get taken apart. There was, I think it was a game against Hull where they took us apart last season, a uh, game against Luton the season they went up and won the league, where you just say, actually, 
this lot are. They're better than us. Better than us. They are a good side. They're playing nice football. They're just a better team than us. Generally, man for man, even on paper, you'd probably take the other team. With Ipswich, that wasn't the case. They didn't need to play particularly well. Players who you can get on top of, like Insiala and Aluko, didn't suffer any form of pressure whatsoever. And they didn't really have to break a sweat at any point. And they didn't, maybe maybe they could have stepped into other gears and played better, but they didn't need to. They didn't play particularly well. They were just more clinical and took advantage of Pompey mistakes and individual errors. Yeah, and let's, let's go on to the individual errors, I suppose. And we'll talk about the the first goal. So Raggett takes a back pass, plays it back to Benzunu. You know, it's on his weaker foot, but this is sort of clutching at straws a little bit, which is something I've used as a phrase way too often recently. It comes back to him. He's got the option to pass the ball left anyway, rather than playing it out into the stand. He's got Williams, I think it is, who's out left, who has peeled away ready for the pass. So if he took it on his weaker foot or even just shaped his body to hit it with his right foot, he would actually be able to to lay it straight out out to Williams if he played that first time. But instead, he tries to cut back inside and and sell the defender, which always looks great when it works. But it, it was it was the wrong mis- it was the wrong thing to do. Obviously, do we still have the faith here, boys, to stick with Banzunu in the next game, considering his game on Tuesday? A hundred percent. I don't even have a long convoluted answer for that. Uh, for me, it's not even not even a question. He has been the best player for us so far this season, arguably. Um, until a couple of games ago, head and shoulders above pretty much anyone else in the starting eleven, other than potentially Sean Raggett, who's been very good defensively, except for the last you know a couple of games. There have been a couple of little errors, but young keeper. If if we're trying to breed the thought process in a young goalkeeper's head that if you make a couple of individual mistakes, you get dropped throughout the team. That is completely the opposite of what you should be doing in development. His head hasn't gone. He was taking a load of grief from the Ipswich fans for the entirety of the second half and obviously made that mistake for, what was it, the third goal? But I don't, yeah, if, if he has that as the second half from the Ipswich fans and then gets dropped for the next game, it's going to do way more harm than good for me. Sam, I don't know if you agree. Yeah, no, 100% has to, has to keep his spot. Um, he's been our best player. For, for, for the first 11, 10, 11 games, he's been our best player. He's, I, I'm obviously his two mistakes, but I've never seen a keeper kind of carry a team before. And I didn't think it was possible for a goalkeeper to carry a team like he has. Just mainly everything good we've done this year has come from his kind of distribution. And I, I just think it's so, it's such a crucial part of the way we play. And, and his shot stopping and his reactions and saves he's made have all been very impressive as well. It's just two mistakes. And as a goalkeeper, Unfortunately, when you make a mistake, it just ends up in a goal. It always does. Uh, and it always gets highlighted where players make mistakes all over the pitch. But it won't end if it ends up in a, it's very unlikely it ends up in a goal if it's the other end of the field. So he, he's 100% got to stay, it, it, um, keep his spot. I, I don't think it would be any good for his confidence at all if he got dropped, especially after two mistakes in two games. It doesn't really set, yeah, as Andy said, it isn't, it's not going to do his confidence any good at all. No, and I completely agree with both of you. And we put our poll saying, who's your pick to start Saturday against Accrington? Uh, 863 of you voted on the poll, which is great. Cheers for that. 64% of people want to stick with Benzunu for the next game, with only 36% of people wanting Bass to come into the team. And Danny Cowley said to um, Andrew Moon that Cowley says, Gavin Benzunu has an elite mentality and he will always support young players as they develop. So... 
he's he's going to start against start against Accrington unless that's some Jedi mind games from Danny Cowley. Well, he did say to us that he'll always tell the truth about everything except injuries and selection, didn't he? So, um, yeah, take that as you will. But I'd be very, very surprised. It wouldn't seem to fit into the Cowley management coaching philosophy for him to drop Bazuna at this point, I don't think. But, you know, mistakes happen. And obviously looking at that first goal, as you said, there is an easy out ball to the left and Raggett is completing that triangle in the centre. So in terms of defensive triangles... The layout of it there is absolutely fine from Pompey to play out from the back, but yeah, 2020 hindsight, one too many touches. I'm not going to be laying into the guy for it. You know, it happens. That's just the nature of the game. Sometimes as a goalkeeper, you get made to look silly. And yeah, unfortunately, it's happened. And again, it's set the ball rolling, that sandcastle in the rain or house of cars, whatever you want to call it, that I referred to it as earlier. It just set the ball rolling again. And uh, Pompey didn't really, really come back from it. I think. Sam said earlier about trying to think of other matches where Pompey have been so poor and I can't think of many at Fratton Park. I mean, the, the only one that came into my head that was away from home from recent times was the Northampton first half. I think it was 4-0 at halftime against Northampton Town. It was like a week before Jacket got sacked and that's the probably the only sort of even close to equal performance I can think of in the last 12, 24 months where it's not just been a poor performance, it's just been a complete yeah, just things never really got going, to be honest with you. Um, and we don't concede for that often. I think it was Northampton and Hull last year we conceded for against in the league. I don't, I can't think of any others in the league last season. So yeah, it's just a a very large hiccup. That's about as positive as I can possibly get. And I don't even really believe that as I say it, but just a very large hiccup. Also as well, regarding the Bazzini mistake, Cowley actually mentioned this into as well. We actually broken their press we actually got through the first line like Raggett actually could have he was ahead of the two strikers so he'd actually got through that first initial like Ipswich press and I don't understand why he didn't go forward then because there was options forward and he, he went back obviously Bazzuni's made the mistake but if you give a key if you're going to give give a keeper the ball there with two strikers going down on him and Macaulay Bomb was on him all game it's just I didn't think it was a, a great decision to play it back to him um <laughs> Two players going down on him. It's a good analogy. Literally oh, children, aren't we? We're actually so I literally realised realize what I said there. <laughs> oh, that's all good. Yeah, well, do you know what? I think I don't know if that's the fact that Raggett's not necessarily the best passer and he's he's taken the easy option out with a goalkeeper behind him who has got great distribution, as we've just said. And maybe he just takes that easy option rather than taking the, the pass forward. He's rather on the turn, he's sort of well, he just takes that option. And when you're not playing with confidence in the side, often you'll make what you perceive to be the safe pass, which obviously yeah. it turned out not to be the safe pass at all. Um, but I think that's that's potentially what the mentality in the team is at the moment. It's risk averse in their head, which is causing all kinds of problems everywhere around the pitch. And we spoke about after the Burton game where Romeo gets trapped in the corner and the ball gets robbed off him and it ends up in the back of the net. There's no movement off the ball. The players look so static. There's no conversation between the players. You know, goals are going. And I saw at one point the defenders having a little natter down the other end of the pitch. But you want to see a team react and, and try and have a game plan or have some sort of some sort of oomph or ideas or make a run for your teammate. You know, drag a defender, a midfielder out. Do something anyway. But the team seemed to have folded by that point. And it's almost too late then when we start bringing on substitutions and 
I know John Marquez is running around. I've already spoke about his positioning coming potentially too deep. And maybe Danny Cowley spots that and goes, we need to get further up the pitch. Maybe we need someone who can hold the ball up further up the pitch, which allows the other players in the team to, to be brought into the game. But brings on George Hurst. And, you know, I don't want to be too harsh on him. So I feel like I'm hammering him home every week at this moment in time. But he just adds absolutely nothing to us up front. I know he got that strike away, but it doesn't seem to win headers. He doesn't have a good first touch. And when you when we took Marquess off and brought Hurst on, it, it almost seemed like the whole team had pretty much folded and given it in, didn't it, Andy? Yeah, I, it, it was kind of offering up a, a sacrificial lamb almost. I felt a bit sorry for him, kind of like being a glutton for punishment there in terms of being thrown into a game situation in a fairly toxic environment. Or I suppose it wasn't really toxic, it was more past toxic it was comedic wasn't it which is potentially even worse to come on as a player I would imagine and yeah it's kind of like right go on then do something even though the 10 people on your team have essentially given up on the game and are trying to manage it or seemingly trying to manage it to a a 4-0 loss at home to a team managed by an ex-manager with a Pompey youth player on the score sheet it's like well good luck you know go and do something special and yeah it's I kind of felt like he's being put in a position that uh Cowley has been trying to avoid putting Aziz into in terms of sort of throwing him into a situation where it, you know, throwing into a situation where he can only lose from it. I kind of felt like this was that for Hurst. I don't, I can understand the sub because, you know, <laughs> with 4-0 down, you can't not make any changes. But at the same time, yeah, I kind of felt like he was being thrown into the lines then a little bit without any real hope of, success because you know as a as a goal scoring record at the moment in English football it's not brilliant that's good I'm going to put it very politely it's not it's not brilliant at the moment and it's not getting on the guy personally in the slightest so I very much wouldn't want it to come across that way but I did feel bad for him being thrown into that situation and yeah he had he had one chance and good connection with the ball decent save from the keeper but he's not you know if you compare the substitutes between um, between the two clubs in that game, and you can you know compare the depth on the bench, and Ipswich brought on Wes Burns, we brought on George Hurst, and you sort of compare the you compare the sort of football league the pedigree that we have on the bench compared to the Ipswich squad, and yeah, it's not it's not really the same ball game, is it? There's no real depth there, and. They could have scored more, really, if they'd pushed. And yeah, Pompey came into the game a little bit towards the end, but I, I'm not having that as a mitigating factor because that's Ipswich managing the game out as you do when you're 4-0 up away from home. You know, you're you're buzzing at that point. You're happy for the final whistle to go. So I don't really give too much credit for coming into it towards the end. But yeah, I feel sorry for George Hurst in this position. I think he's being put into positions where... He's really in a no-win situation, to be honest, and it's not necessarily his fault. And he's not going to be a huge impact sub for us, I wouldn't think. And I really hope he starts firing for many different reasons, but it just hasn't looked likely to happen as yet, has it? No, not at all. Not at all. Should we? Do we have anything we want to talk about this? We're going to refer back to this game anyway, in particular, as Andy sits here trying to get some happiness in his life by eating strawberries when he's not talking, which I really rate, by the way. Top work. Should we move on to what everyone else says, to what the listeners say, and then just sort of wrap this back in, unless you want to say something first, Sam, before I move it on? No, no, no. Less said about Tuesday, the better, mate. <laughs> That's literally all we've got on it before we listen to what yeah. you guys say. So 
let's get into it. Let's go to what you guys said, because at the end of the day, you guys seem to have more to say about what we can say about this game, because it was literally one of the worst performances I've already said. So I put out the question. It's a simple question this week. I said, what is wrong at Pompey? And I'm counting on you guys to try and work out what is wrong, because I seem slightly lost for some words here, but let's go into it. George Andrew Slater messages in and he says, evening lads, we're in a relegation battle. Every Pompey fan needs to realise we're nowhere near good enough for mid-table. I called for Cowley now. I'm regretting that. Recent interviews seemingly starting to give up. Can't see us winning at Stanley. Hashtag Eisner's out. Hashtag Cowley's out. I'm jumping in there if that's all right, Hugh. Absolutely not. They're not giving up. There's absolutely no way that they are even considering giving up at this point. You don't become a coach or a manager in professional football if you give up after, a, to use Danny Cowley's phrase, a sticky patch. He said it's the longest sticky patch he's had in coaching or in management. But, you know, Cowley's out is not the answer. We are not even in that ballpark, as far as I'm concerned. And I know some people are going to really strongly disagree with me on that. We're not even in the same universe at the moment for me as Cowley's out. It's in it. Yeah, I, I know that we're going to have a few messages read out that say that. And it's everyone's entitled to their opinion. But no, I will be strongly disagreeing with that every time it comes up on the pod. Sam, Nigel Atkins has been sacked as the Charlton manager. And I did see online that there was quite a few comparisons. I think I can't, Cowley's Cows actually put it up, I think, on Twitter. And he said something about their records being fairly similar in the time in which Nigel Atkins has been let go. I mean, obviously, he's Nigel Atkins' his stats were actually inflated by the Kenny Jacket effect, which is the Checker Trade Trophy. Uh, games I believe if you actually look at their league performances it's not quite as good do you think it's time for a change as some fans are calling for Sam absolutely not no you can't give Kenny Jacket four years in charge and consistently back him and say it's a process and say it's all about giving people time because I actually I actually do think that is how football clubs should be run I think it's the best way and the most successful way that football clubs are run is that it's a long process sticking by people and giving them time. You can't give Kenny Jacket four years and then give Cowley six months. It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't work for me. We've got to give him time. We all called for a new coach to come in. We've got a new coach. You can't now suddenly go, right, we've we we have we've had a sticky start to the season. He's got to go. We've set precedent and the eyes have set precedent with how they treated Kenny Jacket and how much support they gave him and patience they gave him. It's got to be reciprocated for for Danny Cowley as well, and I think it will be. I, I've got no doubt that I think he's going to be here for a long, long time. Um, it's just the start of his reign, and it's the start of his tenure. It was very, it's still very. For me, I'm not really counting last season as such. I think there was, it wasn't his squad. There's been a lot of turnover. Um, you've got to give him at least two more transfer windows. Um, I think for the, in the Charlton case, I think it is because they are genuinely quite concerned about their league position um, being 22nd and there's been some very very bad results in there obviously we've just lost two we've just lost 4-0 on the bounce but it's to two of the teams that probably I think in Rotherham's case will go up um, and Ipswich they've got a very good side in there eventually we'll get going so we've lost the two very decent league one sides um, but in Charlton's case I think there's a slightly more concerning than the, the position we're in at the moment because they are they were losing to, to teams that were near the bottom of the league as well. 
I think that we've got such a polar opposite here with Danny Cowley compared to Kenny Jacket, and it's very easy for fans to just pick a stick to beat an individual with. And we see Kenny Jacket always got pelters for standing there with the same expression, arms folded. You know, what, what was it, the game against Norwich in the FA Cup when it was, wasn't it his birthday, last minute winner, and just sat in the press conference looking like someone you know, just like, you know, kicked his puppy or something. And then we've got the polar opposite of it, polar opposite of it in Danny Cowley, who's expressive on the touchline and getting involved with every, you know, living and breathing the game. And then he's getting criticised. I saw someone saying that he's just stood there waving his arms around on the touchline. And you're thinking, well, what do you want? here like you've got two polar opposites there what do you actually want in a manager what do you want in a coach you can't just pick their most obvious um coaching or management tell or style and then beat them with it like a stick you you know you can't complain about one opposite and then complain about the other opposite coming in and you talked about Adkins there obviously a completely different type of manager and coach to to Danny and Nikki Cowley I know who I'd rather have at the helm in, in, in the long term in terms of an old school, old style manager who has been, yeah, had success in the past, or whether the style of manager that I think is going to be the future of football, this sort of really interactive, doing a lot by stats, you know, trying to take apart the minutiae of every single performance and every single move. I know exactly what I would rather have at the head of my football club, and it is what we have got. And we have got to be very, very careful not to wish away something that in the long term could work well. And I think it will click and it will work well. And it might not be with this set of players. I mean, we're going to talk about the formation and it might be that the formation that they want to play doesn't work with this set of players. So they've got to have a bit of flexibility and a bit of wiggle room and maybe not play the football that they really, really want to play at the moment. So it might be a longer process, but we are 13 games into a 46 game season. Ipswich was a mess, total mess, 100% agree. Seven minutes against Rotherham, total mess. The Sutton United game, we're going to talk about what players we could bring in, uh, potentially as a bit of rotation. Sutton United was a chance for the Sutton stri- uh, the second string to, to make a case. Failed, complete mess. I completely agree. Let's zoom out and look a bit more macro. If we're looking at giving managers time, giving coaches time, they are yeah not even close to being under pressure, as far as I'm concerned. Not even close. Pompey and Canberra messages in. He says, too many individual mistakes added to changes in formation, which our players aren't re- aren't fully used to, means we're shipping goals. It doesn't look like an easy fix. It doesn't look like an easy fix, does it, Sam? But at the same time, is there a, a fix that you can do in the short term to potentially shore us up at the back a little bit and potentially move to a back four? Yeah, well, the obvious one is, is Connor Ogilvy coming back in as well. But I was quite surprised didn't start on... Um, on Tuesday night, actually, I thought that he would just, uh, he came back against Rotherham, but obviously that's a quite a tough game to come back in after a lot of relatively long um, uh, absence of injury. So I was a bit surprised that he came back in there, but it was, um, Smith kind of gave him and Raggett a bit of a run round for that whole game. Uh, but he'd be the one I'd like to see come back in because he, he does just defend quite well. Um, one-on-one defending, wins his tackles, just does the basic defensive things quite well. Um, and, and right now, I think that is what we need. I, and going back to you mentioned individual mistakes, mistakes do happen and they, at the moment, have been happening quite a lot. But it's, again, that reaction to the mistake has just been just abysmal. Um, that mistake's happened and then it is just 
implosion straight away, like shipping three, four goals. But that, that's the, it doesn't the mistakes. It's the league one footballers at the end of the day. They're going to make mistakes. That's, that's just part of it. If they weren't, if they weren't making these mistakes often, they'd be playing in the championship. And if they make less mistakes, you're playing the Premier League. That's how it works. So they are league one footballers. They're going to happen. But how the rest of the side has reacted has just been just it hasn't been on anything like you want a, a Pompey side to be. Um, but potentially having get, getting a player like Ogilvy back in defence could provide a little bit more rigidness back there it may make may make the side a little bit more confident um, that mistakes might not happen defensively because obviously Williams has made mistakes Burton he made a little mistake so it it just could maybe getting some proper defenders in there just to do the basics right defensively just gives us a platform to go off that's what um, a lot of a lot of managers have done they've kind of shored up defensively first and then they build from there and right now the absence of Robertson has kind of really put a halt to that um, but that would be the one for me. I'd bring Ogilvy back in, play centre-half. I was looking at this, so Joff at Pompey Stats, go check out his uh, Twitter, it's really good. And he he put online, small sample size, other contributing factors, but with three at the back, we're conceding an average of two goals per 90. With four at the back, we're conceding an average of 0.75 goals per 90. The expected goals against also reflect this of 1.76 per 90 and 0.72 respectively. He says four at the back on Saturday, please. Andy, I know three at the back has looked better going forward until the last couple of games, shall we say, but is it time to sacrifice that, get the basics right and switch to four at the back and shore up this leaky? I mean, leaky's not even describing it, but it's awful defending. Yeah, it's not a leak. It's a it's a burst dam at the moment, isn't it? I think, yeah, at the moment, you've got to look at the realisms of what's happening in the squad. And if we have a fully fit squad, then... The three at the back suits the Cowley's footballing mantra. We've heard it from Danny Cowley when he first arrived at the club. He said to us that if he's, if we concede one, we need to score two. If we concede two, we need to score three. If we concede three, we need to score four. That is a, a really nice mantra to have. But at the moment, with the injuries we've got, if we're conceding four and we don't look like scoring you know, more than one, never mind five, then it's clearly not working. And I think if we had... Yeah, fully strength back three. If you had something like a Robertson, Raggett, Ogilvy back three and then wing backs as well, then it could potentially work. But I just think having having Robertson unfit, so you've got, you know, a sort of a makeshift centre back almost, although you've got someone who has played who has played there before, um, it's still a pretty makeshift. It's just harking back to the days where we had people like, you know, Tom Naylor and Ollie Hawkins playing at centre back, where it's not a set back line it's not a comfortable back line and that's going to result in us conceding goals and I'm sat here scrolling through trying to look at the last time that we conceded four in two league games and I've got to 2016 and not really come close to it yet we had six in two games at one point but no it's you know it is a small sample size Joth is right uh, about that 100% correct but at the same time it's the no smoke without fire kind of thing we can use the stat as a almost a hint or a clue, even if we're not taking it as absolute gospel causation. There's definitely something going on there. And at the moment, I think it's a case of just consolidating a little bit. And this is going to be a test of the Cowleys and how sort of wedded they are to their ideal system and whether or not they've got that flexibility to move away from ideally, you know, how they want to play football, three at the back, pass out from the back, why they brought in Bazunu, whether they're going to commit to that, double down and essentially put 
the how they get seen you know the the first year of their tenure will be judged on the success of that or whether or not they adapt a little bit and maybe make a concession in how they play the game until another transfer window another two transfer windows when potentially they've got exactly the squad they want that they think is fitting to play that um, I'm going to keep scrolling up through the results and see when we last conceded eight in two games in the league. Uh, it might take a little while, so it might be next week's pod we get the answer on that. But yeah, no smoke without fire, right? Absolute top research there, Andy. Keep going, mate. I saw that Andrew Moon also posted that Cowley's defended the 3-4-1-2 formation, pointing out how well the team played against Plymouth, Charlton and Sunderland. He points out how big a blow losing Clark Robinson and Paul Downing has been. I think that's a stretch with uh, Paul Downing there. He, he, for me, he's never really looked good in a Pompey shirt, apart from the pre-season where he came in. When I thought, oh, he's right, right. Whether he's been ruined by Kenny Jacket or not, he's never really convinced me. But it looks to me like he's probably going to stick with a 3-1-4-1-2 formation unless he sort of adapts his playing style to the club he's at. So at Huddersfield, he played a little bit more defensive and he played differently at Lincoln. Is it time to change... For this squad, I think it's time to change for Saturday for um, for for Accrington. Because if we go to Accrington and try and play this kind of this free at the back expansive style, I just think we're going to get turned over again. At Accrington, we, we I can't actually remember the last time we won at Accrington. It might have been probably two when Doyle scored that worldie. But I actually can't remember like Accrington always in our faces, physical aggressive if we go there and try and play out and try and be this possession-based game and try to do what we're doing in recent games doesn't work it's just going to end up with the same outcome I think it'd be foolish to go there and play the same way um, they're, they're just we just know what they're going to do they're going to be very similar to Burst and what they've done if we go there and do what we've been doing it's just going to be the same outcome I'd like to see us just go back to basics even just go back to the 4-2-3-1 four, four, or something similar along that line as long as it's four at the back playing that way just do the basics right try and get in the game be in the game come 70 minutes because we haven't been recently um, and then, then then see where that gets us a point would be a fantastic result because they need to they need to put, stem this uh, stem this flow because it's getting quite concerning if we don't get a uh, if we lose again on Saturday Andy pointed out whilst uh, Sam was talking that I said 3-1-4-1-2, which would mean we'd had an extra player on the pitch, which maybe that's actually necessary at this moment in time in order for us to close teams down. I don't know if we can consider just trying to sneak on 11 outfield players, but maybe that is the solution. Lee Morby Bagley messages in. He says, I know you're not old enough to remember. Thanks, mate. But Alex Ferguson was the same at the beginning of his United career. I think we've got to give it some time. That's a little bit of sunshine, isn't it, from the comments section, the ones we're going to go through. I, I, I do agree, though, and I think Andy agrees and Sam here that we do need to give it more time. That there has got to be a process. And I don't think any of us really thought, we're, you know, we're a promotion set this season or whatever. But at the same time, it has been worse than we all predicted, than we all thought. But it will take a bit of time to turn it around. Yeah, I think we just need to... Again, if we take a step back and we look to that poll we did before the season started, where Pompey are likely to finish this season, and the vast majority of responses were mid-table. And I still think, you know, that's potentially, you know, the, the mean is normally pretty accurate. I am feeling slightly foolish about my prediction of fourth at this point. It's easy to look a little bit silly now down the season. But, uh, you know, I'd rather be an optimist. But yeah, like the general perception is that we are 
probably in all in all likelihood a mid-table team this season. And at the moment, it is rough going. But at the same time, because we had those good results at the start of this season, we had the crew result and the Shrewsbury result. The crew result in particular was a really strong performance. I think it suddenly moved the goalposts a little bit for expectations. And then everything else has felt even worse as a result of that. And again, I'm not defending the last week or so because it's been a complete shambles in pretty much every every way. And a couple of the home games in terms of the match day experience have also been complete shambles off the pitch. So I'm not just sort of blindly going, oh, everything's fine, sunshine and rainbows, because it's very much not. But I do think we have to remember where our expectations were for the season before the first day of the season. And yeah, things aren't great. But at the same time, did we really expect them to be beautiful at this point in time? Not particularly. As I, say, I think the last two results have made it like obviously I, I, I've accepted I accepted at the start of the season that we were going to finish mid-table and I just come to terms with that and I knew what up until the Rotherham game I knew exactly what we were getting at the moment we were getting a team that is going to finish mid-table and that what just won't have quite enough to go up but these last two results have obviously kind of made that a little bit that it's, it's made everyone get a little bit more concerned about how, the actual quality of the team um, and it's maybe made it a little bit more difficult to say we're going to finish mid-table at this at this moment. Um, but if you have, if you do have to take a step back, and it is hard to after we've just been walloped four nil two games in a row, four one four nil two games in a row in a row. This team, it is kind of where we expected it, maybe a little bit worse. But you just had to take a step back, and at the moment, telling Pompey fans to take a step back and just look at where we actually are and the budget we've got and the new management, the new way of playing it is probably where we just maybe a little bit lower than where we should be right now. Um, it's just these last two games have made that a lot harder for to try and get across to people. Lewis Pete messages in. He says, Cowley's made the game too complicated for the players he signed. The defenders are all out of position. They don't look like they believe to be believing the plan. Simplify the game for them and uh, rotate the poor performers. We're going to rotate the poor performers. I actually agree in theory that some of these players would need to be taken out and stuff but who do you bring in this yeah for this, who what depth is so wafer thin and we saw at the Sutton game these players were given a chance and none of them really took that at all so I think you can change potentially the system and the way you play but I think Danny Cowley's reluctant to go back on on trying to implement this new system and, and how we play so I'll be very interested to see how we actually approach the next game and maybe we'll get a feeling if we do try and play a more defensive formation that allows us to, to do the basics right. Um, Cowley's Cow's message is in. He goes, what's right at Pompey? On or off the pitch, from the office staff to the coaches, I can't imagine a working environment is a nice one to work in. I'd imagine most departments have got their issues with senior management and the board. Cullen's got a lot bigger job than he thought he has on his hands. I think there's a lot to unpack in that comment and there is a lot of concern around the club at this moment in time, not just, I suppose, with at management and on the field issues, but other issues outside. And there are people who are who are calling for changes, I suppose, at board level or even just from a, a level of how the fan conference has gone and notes and all that sort of stuff that we're hearing are going to be potentially edited out and no transparency. Pompey Lumjack messages in. He says, I think for the most part, the players we have aren't good enough or the lack of heart required to win. I like Cowley, but rather than trying to make players fit the system, for the time being, he has to make the system fit these players. 
until they can be replaced by quality. We said it would take about three transfer windows. That's what Danny Cowley said originally to, to fix this squad. And we knew it wasn't going to happen overnight. So again, we spoke about it before, but I do think we're going to have to be a little bit more conservative, I suppose, to try and shore it up in the short term in order for us to sort of get that confidence back in the squad, get the basics right again. And then maybe we can move forward and Clark Robinson comes back and then we're allowed to play with three actual centre-backs at the back who can play in the system with sort of ragged anchoring the three. So you've got Raggett in the middle, anchoring the three, doing the aerial stuff, doing what he does best with two players playing either side of him that can that can actually pass the ball out, really, from the back. I, I was going to say, I do, I do think it is a case at the moment is just go, getting going back to basics and getting to January and then seeing what they can do because it's only two months away. Um, and then really in the January window, there needs to be a lot of... I know they've said work's going into it now, but that would be that would be the for me at the moment. It's the only way I can see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel is just trying to grind out what they can from now until January, and then get to January and reassess. That's in twelve. That's twelve games time. That's that's a quarter that's, of the season, Sam, until January. Yeah. Well, I can't see. Any, I can't see. I can't see any. I can't see us putting a run of, of wins together in between now and then. I think it needs to be go back to basics and kind of just try and grind out results as opposed to putting together a kind of a formula of how you want to play long-term. At the moment, they need to just get something that works and just try and get to January. It is, uh, yeah, it is right. I, I kind of forgot how many games there are actually in, in a month, in those two months. But Struggling towards January might be the name of this episode at this rate. It's pretty depressing. <laughs> Devante Drake's messages in. He says, got, ourself, got ourselves a Chesney Hawks level manager to try and... Uh, revitalised to Motown level club let's just play his Lincoln record again to pretend he was a good appointment I can understand a little bit a little bit angry there Andy did you even get the reference am I being stupid reading out I don't get the reference and I think it I'm not dignifying it with a response because I don't think it's a I don't think it's a point that oh I've made my point on the Cowleys I don't think that's a viewpoint at the moment that even I'm going to give a second thought to if I'm honest Andrew Bennett messages in. He says, when a player has the ball at his feet, he doesn't know where his teammates are going to be. Likewise, his teammates don't know what the player with the ball is going to do with it. It comes across as a complete lack of confidence throughout the team. We're also missing a goal scorer. I think that's fair. We spoke about earlier on, didn't we? About the the players, no one having movement, not talking, the communications down, that sort of lack of, and Danny Cowley's talked about lack of character, you know, lack of leadership. I think Freeman was actually the captain, correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, against Rotherham. I think he was listed on the stats as being the captain, which I thought was a little bit odd. Obviously, he's a senior player. And I think Brown was the captain against uh, was the captain against Ipswich. So, I mean, feel free to look that up, Andy, since you're doing that all night. But if that's, if that's the case, then it does show that they're not really sure without Clark Robinson who's sort of got the armband, I suppose. And I know it's a bit cliche, but at the same time, who are the players turning to right now to be the, that player? Good question. You probably just say at the moment you'd probably say the one who's make his performances kind of lead by example is Joe Morrell, but that shouldn't be the case. You know, he's a new player coming in. It's not he's not he's a kind of ball playing midfielder who creates things. He's not a player who's gonna who's gonna vitalize the whole team. But that is kind of what he's trying to do because he's the only one who's putting in the, any kind of performance at the moment. You look you look at. You kind of your Sean Raggett's, your, your Lee Browns as being the senior players that would get the side going, but they're no, they're not, they're not on the same level as a, a Michael Doyle or 
even to some extent, Tom Naylor. Tom Naylor could lead by example in the middle and 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 drive the team forward, or just put a big tackle in something like that to get the get the crowd going, get the team going. And Lee Lee Brown and and Raggett don't necessarily do that enough, but that is what they should be doing because they're the, they're slightly more senior players. Same with John Marquis as well. Maybe just run down, chase a ball down, etc. Block a defender's clearance, something like that, just to get the crowd going. But you mentioned the confidence issue there as well. Yeah, going forward, there's literally no movement, but it's because the players just don't want to. When you're playing well, you get you get Curtis making inside runs, you get Lee Brown overlapping, and, and that's things they wouldn't do when they're when, when they're not confident. They don't want to do that. They don't want to risk it being out of position. But that, that's it. I think that might be at the moment they're just too scared to make that that gamble or take a gamble because it could at the end because they're so. What's happened at the other end of the pitch defensively? They're just so scared about something going wrong there because it's just going wrong all the time at the moment. Yeah, you talk about committing men forward, but yeah, two of the goals we spoke about, one from the Rotherham game, one from the Ipswich game, were because we didn't have enough players tracking back. So there was an overlap on Lee Brown on the left-hand side of defence. And I mean, I think it was the fourth goal against Ipswich. They made one pass in the centre of midfield and they had a four on four. And you're thinking, hang on, how's, how's that happened? It's it's a simple pass from the centre circle and they've got a four on four. So it does seem like with confidence being low, especially later in games, players are worried about being dragged out of position potentially. I don't know if that's a contributing factor or not. Uh, Hugh, just to, I've got back to the start of 2012, uh, which this has been a really exciting pod for me in the background. Um, so we conceded seven in two games at the end of the 2013-14 season. A four-all draw against Bury and a four, uh, a three-all draw against Plymouth. Last couple of days of the season, season before that, we conceded seven in two games: five nil against Swindon and two nil against Warsaw. And then the last time I could find eight or more in two games was pre-season uh, 2012: five-one against Brighton and four nil against Gibraltar, who I'd completely forgotten we actually played. I don't know if that even really counts as a competitive fixture when we're playing against. A literal country. Although I saw on Facebook this week someone thinking that Portsmouth was a country, so um, I, I maybe it was just an international game. I don't know. Well, let's move this mm-hmm. on because we've got a lot of comments to get to. Liam messages in. He says the squad we have isn't good enough, and Cowley's out of his depth, in my opinion. Let's move on because you've already read out about that. Lorraine Wells messages in. She says we have the owners who do not care about this club. Contract negotiations over the last couple of seasons have been handled poorly, and good players have left for no money, no reserve team. I think the comment about the reserve team is completely valid because we have no squad depth of any, you know, we have a lot of warm bodies, it seems, but no one is actually going to come in and make an impact. You know, we're not clamouring for anyone to come in at this second in time. Owners, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, they funded the club a bit through COVID, etc. But you would have liked to see them come out and spend a bit of money on another centre-back, which is clearly needed when you want to play a situation when you're playing three at the back. And again, we all knew we needed a striker. Whether or not that's a funding issue, whether or not that's an issue of we just couldn't get who we wanted, it's a little bit, it's a little bit, you know... Not really sure unless you're linked into the club, but that's how it is. Rob Phillips messages in. He says, this is Cowley's team. He signed the players, but seems to overcomplicate things. And we hear the same old stuff week in, week out. Only difference in him in interviews to Kenny Jacket is he isn't smirking. I mean, Kenny Jacket just had that one face, didn't he? That one stupid face that he pulled the whole time. So, and people got annoyed by it. But is, what what can he come out and say, Hugh? I'm pretty sure he yeah. doesn't want to come out after these games and do an interview. If I did a bad day at work and everything went wrong, last thing I want to do is go and talk to a camera about what I think went wrong and 
why I like screwed up or why I made the wrong decision with hindsight. What do people want him to come and say? Like, I'd be interested to know. He's not going to come out and say, oh, we were unlucky because everyone will go, no, we weren't. We were crap. If he comes out and says, yeah, we were crap, everyone goes, yeah, we were crap. It's your fault. You haven't given any explanations for it. If he comes out and says it was embarrassing and shameful, which it was, everyone goes, yes, it was embarrassing and shameful. What are you going to do about it? We've heard it all before. Like, there's only so many words in the English language or so many sort of types of answers. Like, we've all played football manager. You've only got, like, five real types of answer you can give to an interview question without going completely off the rails. I don't know what people want him to say, if I'm honest. Obviously, ideally, things will go better on the pitch. But if they haven't gone on gone well on the pitch... I don't feel like slating the bloke for what he's saying in an interview is a particularly fair way of going about it, if I'm honest. I agree. I agree. It's a difficult, um, difficult situation to put in for anybody in, in the situation we're in. And you could see that he wants to play the passing at the back, but we're talking earlier about that space in behind, but no forward press. And actually... It's quite interesting because Pompey, when we're actually pressing forward, the wing backs are sort of getting on top of opposition players. It sort of helps pin them back deep into their pitch, which allows us to to press forward. And then it doesn't matter as much when you've got the midfielders covering there. But at the moment, you've got these wing backs that are sort of in no man's land, as Sam was touching on, with Romeo on the right hand side as well against Ipswich, where it's almost wasted having those two players in Brown and Romeo there. If you're not going to play the wide triangles and the midfielders aren't going to get the ball and then sort of play that one, two, and then, you know, go into that space, it's it's kind of pointless, really. And it must be kind of frustrating to be a manager who has to come out and explain why the players really just aren't executing what, what he's actually asking them to do. So the question is. Can he find a formation that or a system that actually allows them to do it? Or can the players pull themselves together and actually stop embarrassing the whole city of Portsmouth? Yeah, that's that's the thing there in terms of him having to come out and sort of bear the brunt of that. And he's going to take the flak for the players because that's his job. But again, if you compare it to, to Kenny Jacket, you mentioned there in sort of less than PC terms that I'm going to use sort of the look on Kenny Jacket's face when he came out and did interviews. When Danny Cowley comes out and does an interview after the game, he looks like he is hurting and like not in a sadistic or unpleasant way. As a Pompey fan, I really want it to hurt when we lose and he's the manager. When I, I can't think of a single interview that I saw with Kenny Jacket where I thought he's hurting from this. Like he's actually physically, personally hurting from what he's just seen. Whereas I feel with Danny Cowley, he is and Nicky Cowley will be as well. And I want them to be struggling. I want like if we've lost the game and I want them to have hurt if we've lost the game because they from what I know about them they will put in whatever hours are necessary to fix that with Jacket I didn't see that pain that you know that hate for losing you know we had the whole it was a good way to lose debacle we're never going to hear a stupid quote like that come out of Danny Cowley's lips I would sincerely hope I'm, I'd, I'd give him more credit than that so yeah I he's coming out and he, he's hurt because his players aren't able to execute what he is prescribing and what he's training them for and as you say maybe it needs to be a subtle change in formation or even a a larger change in formation because the players at the moment aren't capable to do what he wants which must be frustrating but it is the reality of the situation right now for for me it's it's the main thing is at least with and you richard said that i was going to say but he you can see he cares Uh, and that's why it'll buy him a lot more time a lot more patience with, with pompey fans well Pompey fans, you've got their head switched on like like us. You aren't calling for his head. 
<laughs> that's a that's a big claim. You said we've got our head switched on, geez. That's a, probably the nicest thing I've ever heard about the pod. Don't throw but compliments he, like that, Andy. Oh yeah, the head's too big anyway. Like, but he does. He does. He looks like sort of like Atlas carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. He looks like he's carrying Portsmouth around on his shoulders at the moment, twenty four hours a day. And to be honest with you, that's kind of what I want him to be doing because I want someone who. You know, we want players who will put themselves on the line for the club and give everything and give 100%. I damn well want my coaching staff to be doing the same. And I think he will. As simple as that. Paul Wells messages in and he says it'd be easier and quicker to ask what's right. Well, Paul, I'll tell you what it was right. It was quite actually good to get into the... Uh, easy to get into Fratton Park the other day. I didn't have to queue for ages. So uh, that's my hot take on what's going right at the club at this moment in time. JC messages in. He says, where to begin? Leadership, quality, ambition... Ambition from the owners. With Jacket, at least we're able to bounce back from poor results, very rarely losing back-to-back games. After a loss, we almost certainly got a result the following match. This current team lacks fight and passion. Sam, just to go on to that for a second, what happens if you lose the next five games by three goals? I'd, uh, well, if we lose the next five games by three goals, then yeah, people will be calling for it for his head and probably rightly so. But I don't, think we will I've I've just got a feeling that he may even if we get a point here or there just something to get the team going I I do think there'll be a slightly more go back to the the fundamentals of what what is a successful team and and, and that's what he needs to go back to right now and I think he has proven to be an adaptable coach you mentioned this like previous jobs as well plays a different way and I do think he's going to go back to something that he kind of will know and, and knows it will get results. But yeah, if we lose the next five games, but that's just a, that's just football, modern day football at the moment. It's a it's a ruthless business. And for, to lose five if we lose the next five games, that'll be one win in fifteen, wouldn't it? One win in fifteen. So for any manager, one win in fifteen isn't good enough. And you've probably seen their their job go. Daniel Cleave measures in he says the constant moaning of the fans, both verbally and online, it really doesn't help. Whether they're moaning about a win, a draw, defeat, Cowley, certain players, Eisners or the tea lady, some of the abuse is too much. Unnecessary and disgusting, in my opinion. Play up Pompey. Well, it's nice It's nice to hear somebody, I suppose, in some senses, in, well, telling people to calm down a little bit, maybe. But, you know, at the same time, I suppose everyone is entitled to vent their frustrations at the moment with the team, especially off the back of a 4 nil thumping at home. And whilst I think it's all relative to the level of of, uh, of abuse, this is football. We're going to talk about it. We're all passionate about it. So I do understand that fans need to have their say. Yeah, but there's a difference between those two concepts. You, there's All three of us are thoroughly hacked off at what we've seen in the last week. It's been a mess. Um, but there is a massive difference between that and what does constitute personal abuse a lot of the time. And I think you have to be able to separate those two things. And I don't think those two things do get separated enough at football a lot of the time. I mean, people just pick on a random physical attribute or whatever. And the most obvious thing, and you've got it a lot with Kenny Jackett, because he had some slightly odd physical mannerisms. You get the same with Harry Redknapp, with some slightly odd physical mannerisms. And people are starting to pick up on things on on uh, Danny Cowley. And it's not... I don't know. I that for me, there's a line between those two things, so I completely agree with that messaging. Vent by all means. Vent about. Uh, I'm venting about, or I have vented about the fact that the match day experience at home has been pretty dreadful for a number of reasons. Performances on the pitch, other than the swimming pool, which was 
wonderful. Um, it had been pretty, pretty awful for a number of reasons. And yeah, vent by all means. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that, you know, you verbally abuse or, you know, cross that line. Because as soon as you do that, it's hard to come back from as far as I'm concerned. Can I just say as well, Hugh, one thing I wanted to mention was um, people talking about the, the Sunderland game and saying that, you know, that's we only won that game because of the pitch, for example. And it's kind of like the opposite of, of what you normally see with, I, th- I think it's called attribution theory, where basically if you win or you do well, you attribute the success to your own good work. And if you lose, you attribute the loss to external factors. So things like the weather, the referee, the opposition fans, whatever. So if you do well, you blame it on your own good work. If you lose, you blame it on external factors. And it's kind of the opposite in this case. That a lot of people are saying when we lose, it's because of things going wrong in our own performances and the coaching setup and the formation and the style of play. But when we win, it's getting the credit is given given to the external factors. And I'm it's quite widespread that at the moment, I think, on social media. And I think, you know, we can say that things have been shocking for the last at least, you know, week and long, like, longer than that, with the one exception. We can say that and also say, but also the Sunderland game, they crushed it and they adapted better to the conditions than Sunderland did. It's not, not one or the other. You can say both. We don't need to have, you know, people saying we only beat Sunderland because of the weather and all of the losses have been our own fault or the Cowley's fault or the players' fault. You know, we can give them credit for that one win and say that was because they played and adapted well. And we can also say that they've played and adapted terribly in other games. So it's just, it's just a theme that's come through on social media a lot that um, I think we need to give credit where it's due for the success. We can still do that while criticising heavy defeats as we are on this pod. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that, to be fair, Andy. I do. And uh, George messages in. He says, Danny Cowley, get him out. You know, he's expressed his opinion, but it's uh, <laughs> and it's sort of polite. Gazza messages in. He says, the team is garbage. Can't deny that at the moment, Gazza. We look absolutely shocking. That's, that still doesn't, that's still sort of flattering to deceive at the same point. Justin Crap messages in. He says, there have been injuries, but there's an inability to get the most out of the guys on the pitch. Really no choice but to give the Cowleys a chance to fix it. And I think it's going to have to start with focusing on defence. Maybe keeping defensive shape and counter when the opposition presents itself. Sort of a kiss, keep it simple, stupid approach. I mean, to be fair, I think that's that's what we're going to have to do. Back to basics, Justin, as we've already said, we already said going on. Forrest Watson messages in. He says, Tunnicliffe needs to be dropped for Thompson. was hard to see Chaplin playing for another team. Catlin should have told Jacket he isn't going anywhere back when he left. I said I'd give Cowley time. I don't mind losing if we try, but we got outrun in every area. Tunnicliffe, boys, drop for Thompson. That could be a straight swap. What are we feeling? Is he fit enough to even do that? Do we know? I think Thompson is fit enough. He came on against Rotherham, so he definitely he's he's played cup games. But I would it wouldn't be for Tunnicliffe for me. I, I'd if it's possible if Ogilvy comes in potentially, I'd look to play him over Williams in that mid. If they play a four at the back, um, play him in a, like a four three three with uh, Morel, um, Tunnicliffe, and Thompson in the middle. I think that's quite an energetic midfield. Um, it's quite combative. It's it may be a little bit more of what we need now. Not so much craft and guile. It's a bit more let Morel go forward a little bit more, try and dictate play with them two in there, just pressing and, and getting in people's faces. Because at the moment, especially on Tuesday, there was pretty much no pressure on any of the Ipswich players. 
um, defensive in their defence and in their midfield. So that that would be the main that'd be the one move I'd maybe look to make because I have been impressed with Thompson from what I've seen him so far. Yeah, no, I, I think he's looked he's looked pretty sharp when he's played. I, I'm only a little bit concerned about playing a four three three formation because number one, if you bring the Williams into the middle situation again, I don't like that at all. I, don't, I think he's sort of him and Morel do not look good together, and he sort of almost cancels a little bit out the sort of the passing that Jay Morel's doing in that middle because he sort of gets on the ball and it's all a bit choppy and no defined roles. So I'm not really sure. I'm looking forward to if we do switch to four three three. And the next problem I've got with a four three three is that the three up front, the, the two players, when you say you've got Curtis and Harness playing, they're playing incredibly wide, but then trying to come narrow. And we've just said that Harness is better when he's playing central. Mm. Curtis has looked better when he's been playing central as well, really, I think, rather than out wide as well. So for me, it's, it's a little bit difficult to play a 4-3-3 when the three in midfield hasn't worked and the three up front in that formation hasn't looked good either. Yeah, good point. <laughs> Yeah, I just agree. I don't have much to add to that, but I agree with the sentiment. All right, let's move on to the comments now. I think we've got the gist of what everyone's doing. Thank you, everyone, for messaging in. And sorry if I've not got around to reading your comments out, but we're a fair amount into the podcast now. So uh, right in next week, and I'll try, I'll try and sort it out. So this week, we're going to in a minute, we're going to preview the Accrington game, which we're all really looking forward to. Sam's gutted he can't go anymore, as you already touched on earlier on in the podcast. We haven't got a guest to do the preview for the Accrington game. Because I'll be honest, I spoke to everyone who's vaguely related to Accrington Stanley and nobody could come on the podcast. So I don't know what that says about them or us, but we'll just leave it at that. But here's the thoughts of our very own co-host of the podcast, guest star, Proudy, who's got his thoughts on the game against Ipswich. Hello, everyone who listens to the PR forecast. My name's Proudy. Uh, I'm a very irregular member of the podcast, and uh, I was actually meant to be here for this recording, but other commitments mean I can't attend. Uh, so the boys asked me to give a soundbite about what I thought about, you know, recent results and uh, how the club is, you know, going at the moment. Results-wise, it has been shocking. Uh, I can agree with that. I think uh, I was at the Ipswich game, and uh, normally I sit in the fraternity end, and you know, I'm chanting for 90 minutes, you know, supporting the team. Uh, but after about 3-0, I just sort of like zoned out and just completely like I just didn't really know what was going on. I was sort of watching the time just go by, um, not expecting anything to happen. And um, it was a really strange atmosphere. Uh, obviously, I can understand, you know, fans aren't happy with um, like the results at the moment. I think there's been possible question marks about the style of play. Like, in my opinion, I think the style of play is a lot better on the eyes. Obviously, we just don't have like enough forward-thinking players uh, in order to create enough chances. I feel like we're we're going through a lot of games where we're just not getting the chances at the moment or creating the chances. And I think it's also down to the fact that our system seems to rely on individual brilliance uh, rather than uh, the team sort of um, you know creating the chances as a whole. Uh, I think you know we put a lot of focus on our wingers like in Ronan Curtis, Marcus Harness and I'm not criticising them by the way but I feel like their confidence has been shot to bits and uh, I think it's uh, obviously a problem for us that they're uh, not performing to the standards that we know they can perform and therefore the system just doesn't look like it's going to score any goals and to be honest like we only had one shot on target that I remember uh, from George Hurst uh, I don't remember really anything else happening in the game uh, obviously the Rotherham result as well you know, that was not a great result. <laughs> I mean, it was clearly not a great result for us. Uh, and obviously that was compounded by Gavin Bazunu making a mistake, which then led to them scoring. And then we just collapsed. 
Uh, and whether that's a, a Danny Cowley problem or like the players just don't have the mental toughness, which has been actually talked about in recent um, recent days, uh, whether they just don't have the mental toughness to come back from this. And it seems like every time we ship a goal, you know there's going to be more coming. And uh, it's it's really strange to have that sort of feeling. Uh, it's normally it's normally a team that's bottom of the league, like actually rock bottom of the league that has that, not a team that you know should be. Well, I'd, I'd say challenging for the playoffs, but I did actually mention a couple of episodes ago that my prediction was ninth this season. I thought we wouldn't get into the playoffs, but we'd be in and about that position. And obviously it looks like, you know, unless we have a, a really good second half of the season, that might not happen anyway. Um, but yeah, there's there's just a few things that I, I wouldn't say I was annoyed about, but I just found it really strange. But like, obviously Gavin Bazunu is the best performer we've had this season, in my opinion. And I'm not speaking uh, like that as, you know, as a fellow goalkeeper. Like, I, I play as a goalkeeper as well. But I, I'm not saying Gavin Bazoon is the best goalkeeper. Uh, sorry, the best player we've had because, you know, as I'm a fellow goalkeeper. But he has been the best player we've had this season because we've seemed to have relied on him a lot to sort of keep us in the game. Uh, and obviously, you know, goalkeepers are going to go through bad spells. And I felt like, you know, there was a lot of abuse aimed at him for Tuesday's game. Uh, which is obviously it's not helped, you know, Saturday's game. I think it was the first mistake I've actually seen him make this season. Um, and it led to a goal. And then obviously for a 19 year old goalkeeper, who's still learning their way in the game, that, that is, that is, you know, career, not career changing, but like that could be, you know, a change of confidence, which has now affected him going into Tuesday's game, which we ended up obviously losing by. And um, I think uh, he's, you know, he's obviously a goalkeeper that, I would probably say is the best we've had for quite a, a while now. And, you know, he needs the, he needs the support from the, the, the fans and obviously the fans getting on his back. Like the first goal obviously was avoidable. I think dallying on the ball too much, trying to be like clever with it. Um, not something that I would do myself, but like I can understand why he would do it because, you know, he obviously doesn't want to put the team under pressure, which we were being under for the entire, the first half. I think there was a few fans around me who said that, you know, we sort of matched them in the first half. And I don't agree with that. I think, you know, we only really had one chance that game. I think we were losing the midfield battle a lot. Like Tunnicliffe and Morel were seem to get lost. And when Morel would be on the ball, he'd get double pressed and then we'd have to go back. And then we'd have to keep getting forced back to Bazunu, who then just clear the ball. Uh, and then obviously Ipswich would get the ball back and then just recycle it. Like, and we know Cook's system. We know Cook's system. We force the team play long, bring the ball down, and then just play it from the back. And they were doing that perfectly. My initial point was that, you know, a player like Gavin Bazunu does need our support. And I just don't agree with the abuse that he's been getting uh, at all. Um, obviously, that talks in general with the whole team. I know the team's not playing well at the moment, but obviously, Ports have been a team at the moment where, you know, we seem to be offended by the fact that other managers say that, you know, when the atmosphere gets toxic, then it can be difficult to play. And I remember when Cook said that at the start of the season and he said, oh, the team like Portsmouth, you know, the fans could get on the backs. And a lot of fans were like quite offended by that statement. But then Tuesday proved it. Like, you know, we went 2-0 down and suddenly it was just like, we were just, you know, we went 2-0 down and then suddenly there was booze ringing around everywhere. There was booze at halftime. You know, the atmosphere is just getting toxic. And then I think, uh, I can't remember which goal it was. I think it might be 3-0, but if you, I think three Freeman? I think Freeman, like, kicked the ball out of play. I think he tried to kick it forward and he hit over here. And the sort of atmosphere, just it was just so toxic. And you can, as a player, you could probably sense it, like, and it just doesn't want give you any confidence whatsoever to play 
um, the football that Danny Cowley clearly wants us to play. And we've seen, we've seen glimpses of it and it can work. It's just like, it's a confidence thing. Um, and obviously the mental toughness of the players has been questioned a lot. It seems that every time we concede a goal, uh, you know, there's going to be two or three goals that are going to go into the back of the net at the moment. So yeah, it's just the... Uh, yeah, so there's a few things that obviously uh, I've made points on and which uh, I found strange. But um, in, in my opinion, and this might be a controversial opinion, like I, I clapped Danny Cowley on uh, Tuesday. I know it wasn't a great performance. I mean, I I think I I don't remember much really happening after the 55th minute, I, I think when they made it 3-0. Um, only because like I was sort of disassociated with the game all of a sudden. Like I sort of just... I zoned out completely. Um, but like, I still think Danny Cowley's the man. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion on like Facebook and Twitter about whether we need to replace him. I don't think so. Uh, I think, you know, his system will work eventually. It just takes time. And we've mentioned this many a time. This league is very strong. Like there's so many teams in this league who have strengthened. They've spent money. You know, we haven't spent the money, which we probably should have, but you know, there's there's a lot of other things behind uh, behind the scenes which we probably don't know about where we don't have the budget. And obviously, I do agree with the point that we need to give Danny Cowley like at least two or three transfer windows because he needs to bring in the players he wants. And uh, this was another point I was going to make and I'll just end on this point. But a lot of fans said, oh, you know, these are Cowley's players. He should be playing, you know, they should be playing like perfectly. But the problem is, is that we were linked with so many players over the summer and we missed out on quite a few and if those were the first and cho- second choice players that Danny Cowley wanted, and then we've ended up with the third choice and lower, then clearly those players just aren't the, like the level that we want, really. And so we've just ended up like we have players that can play the system to a degree, but they can't play the system fully, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, that's 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 all I was going to say on the matters. I'm sure the boys will come up with some other points during that. I'm sure that I made a lot of points during this soundbite. And uh, yeah, um, hopefully, uh, hopefully we turn it around on Saturday because uh, this is going to be a very long winter if we don't. So uh, play up, Pompey. All right, cheers, to that Proudy. That was a that was a good listen, mate, and appreciate you sending that in. I know we were going to originally get you on the podcast as well, but unfortunately, we switched the day. So like it, get involved, and people listening as well. If you want to stick in a short sentiment or you want a little voice clip, send it in. Email me, message me on Twitter. Or just just DM me at PO Forecast and I'll I'll sort it out from there. Right, guys, let's move on. Accrington Stanley. We're all really excited for the game. It's a team that we always do really well against, let's be honest. They're not a bogey team. Right at the point where you need to turn your season around, you come up against the lovely Aki Stanley. Boys, how are we feeling? First of all, I want to get your takes on how we're feeling and the confidence level about the game against Accrington. At an all-time low, potentially. Um, I'm not I never ever predict Pompey to lose, um, just because I've got this theory that if I'm, what's the point of being a football fan if I'm going to go to a game thinking I'm going to lose? So I never predict Pompey to lose, but I can't, I can't really see anything else apart from a really tough game. Um, there's been nothing in the last two games that have kind of made me think we're going to go there and really take the game to them and dominate them, be physical, and I, I just can't see it. Um, as I said, I, I like. They've obviously got a very Dion Charles up front with um with Bishop gonna give our defenders all sorts of problems as well. So it doesn't fill me with too much confidence having them two there. And they've just always been a good side against us. Do you remember the playoff game at the uh, not playoff game? Felt like a playoff game. 
the last game of last season when they um they just did a job on us and we never looked like scoring a goal. So that's what I'm just concerned is going to happen again. Um, and then there was the game up there last season where obviously we threw it away with the last kick of the game. So we haven't got good memories from from trips to Atkinson recently. Uh, and coming off these two performances, it is really hard to get positive about it. Yeah, it is. And obviously they've also got Sean McConville as well, who I think is a good player on that on that wing back on the left-hand side. He also causes us quite a lot of problems down that side. Would be a little bit concerning as well if you do end up playing the three at the back with Romeo in the wing-back role, having him on that side as well, playing balls into the box. They're a compact team, aren't they? They're going to play a 3-4-2-1 though, generally, I think, in this game. I'm... Not looking forward to it, if I'm honest. Um, they've been in all right form as well, haven't they? My screen just dipped when I was yeah, about to they, talk about it. They beat Charlton at the weekend and finished off Adkins. Yeah, the Akron, <laughs> yeah, Accrington, the Atkins Slayer finished off Atkins, <laughs> finished off Nigel Atkins. Yeah, oi, oi. with a three-two win. So the last five games in the league, obviously they've uh, they beat. Chelton away at the Valley, but then again, you know, it's not really a big, it's not really a big win. They lost away 1-0 at Cheltenham, who obviously can tighten things up and play quite compact if you go a goal down. Um, and then before they beat Ipswich 2-1, which sort of shows a little bit at home that I think they're going to be a tough test again, boys. It's not going to be an easy one, is it? But what I want to know is, first of all, what's your starting lineup to the game? And get your, let's go for it. Your score predictions for the game against Accrington. Or full starting lineup. Oh, I'm I'm playing four at the back anyway. Um, Are you? O- yeah, I know. What a surprise! Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm starting four at the back with Ogilvy and Raggett playing in the centre back positions. I just think we've got to use a bit of common sense here. Damage limitation. Get a, even if it's just getting a point in the bag away against a half decent Accrington Stanley team, just to stop the slide and and give us something to build on moving forward into the run of games after this. Um, prediction wise I don't think we're going to keep a clean sheet if I'm honest I think if they move to four at the back there's the risk of that being a bit of a teething process and kind of almost learning on the job during the game and I think Accrington have got too much quality going forward for us to potentially keep a clean sheet either way Harry Pell is an extremely dangerous player and I would be surprised if he doesn't create or score against a pretty rocky defence at some point in the game Um, much like Sam I don't predict Pompey losses. I think the only one I've predicted is against um, that lot up the road in the cup and against Arsenal in the cup the last couple of years. I think I've always predicted at least a draw other than that. So I'll go with a go with a one all or a two all draw. I'll go one all. And uh, in reality, I think over two and a half goals and an Accrington win is probably a good bet if you are a betting person. Not that we are at the podcast. But um, yeah, I think I'm going to go with a one all draw and I will be very happy with it. And I'm saying this, so even if we can see that equaliser in the 94th minute. One all draw is still a good result. I'm telling myself that. When you're grasping at straws to try and kid yourself into a 1-1 draw, Andy, and then saying if you were betting, you wouldn't bet on that at all. Um, we're in a bit of a sorry state of affairs, really, aren't we? Let's be honest. If you look at Atkinson, generally good at attacking set places, generally decent in the air. You think that Pompey are going to have to be really organised at the back. and You really don't want a corner... Quick goal, Accrington Stanley. Suddenly, everything un- you know unwraps, unveils, whatever we're talking about here goes to shit. Basically, Pompey needs to be organised. We need to be on top of things. I- I'm, I've got a tiny bit of confidence if we switch the system that we can be more compact again. So, 
again, I agree with, with your centre-backs uh, selections. And I think you can go Brown. I don't really mind if you're going to go for four at the back if you play Romeo or Freeman. I think Freeman's had a tough time, but playing in a central three is really not his position at all. So he looked better at the start of the season when he played in that right-back role. So whoever Cowley thinks should play in that in that setting, I'm not too fussed either way. Obviously, if you want to go forward a bit more, Romeo is probably better going forward. And I think you probably do start him. I think we're just going to have to go for the standard midfield and we're probably going to go for a compact 4-2-3-1. We're probably going to have to play the front four, be quite floating between the two of them. So they have a bit more movement. So it's not that three up front, which is a little bit more static and doesn't look like we're going to get on the front of the ball. I'm going to go with Morel and Tunnicliffe to stay in the middle, but I could you could swap out Tunnicliffe and play Thompson if he really thinks that, because Tunnicliffe's been all right at the moment not too worried about that harness in the middle why not curtis just an aside john marquis up front there and maybe you play rico in maybe we could potentially play romeo up up there i don't know if you wanted to keep him in the side that's just an idea he's, what, play him as right attacking midfield yeah i don't like, think he's got the finishing like a, ability though i feel yeah, like we're playing very right defensive winger. if that happens mm. you could go aziz harness and uh and Curtis, let's just let's just stay something like that. And Marquis, that's my that's my starting lineup. I'll roughly stick to it. Sam, do you agree or not? Offensively, it's quite hard to predict what he'll actually go with. I'd even go as far as saying, like as I think it was mentioned earlier, maybe lobbing Curtis up front or something like that. Um, but the main thing for me is defensively, it's got to be a four with Ogilvy and um, and Raggett as the two centre halves. I think that needs to be the the main thing from that whole will be taken from the, the choosing the lineup. Um, but as Andy said, I'm actually going to copy him. I know it's quite boring, but um, I, I do think a one-all draw would be a great result. I can't see us keeping a clean sheet. Personally, they can be got at because they they they're not. They've obviously had a few good results this season, but they're not flying that high in the league. So they can definitely be got at. They can, there is goals in the game. We just got to try and stay in it as long as we possibly can because that that's been the, that's been the main issue over the last week. All right, and I'm going to predict a two-one Pompey loss. I, I I just, at the moment, I can't bring myself together after watching that game on Tuesday to actually say that I feel that we can, I can honestly tell the listeners that I think we're going to win the game on Saturday. So prove me wrong. That's what I want to say. Get out there, prove me wrong. Maybe install some more confidence in me because at the moment I can't actually say hand on heart. I can go out there and say Pompey are going to get anything from this game. So until I see otherwise... I'm not going to predict a win. And I do think generally Accrington are an okay League One middling side at this moment in time. But that's a lot more impressive than we've looked at this moment in time. So, yeah, I'm going to predict a 2-1 loss. And the only reason I'm saying two goals really is because I'm hoping we play a bit more of a solid defensive system. But if we go and play the three at the back again and play the same way we did against Ipswich, it's going to be a really, really awful game to watch on Saturday. So let's hope we, uh, we mix it up. All right, if you've listened this far, to be honest, do us a favour. Give us a five-star review. Why not? Let's just talk about it now. Let's get some positivity going. Go on Apple, click five stars, help us out if you really appreciate it. Helps people find the podcast, all that stuff. Also, check out FanHub. We've now got over 10,000 people signed up and Pompey fans are leading the way out of every club in the EFL with people who have signed up. So pat on the back to all of you lot who are joining in. I know it's a lot of fun and there's a load of rewards coming soon, free stuff, free merch, all this kind of stuff for joining up. So if you need a code, hit me up at PuckDropUK, at PO Forecast, whatever, and I'll link you up with a code. Andy, always a pleasure, my friend, for coming on the podcast and thanks for that. Fine, weekly therapy. It's an important part of, uh, of everyday life, isn't it? Cheers, Hugh.
<laughs> Sam, it's been it's been a pleasure, mate. Cheers, mate. Yeah, I needed that a bit of a vent. So yeah, thanks, mate. And thank you for all of you listening for considering the results. So until next time, play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.